0: Father God, uh, we ask for your presence to be here to fill this house. Uh, Mostly, uh, we want you, Lord. We want to interact with you. Uh, We are thankful uh, to lift our hearts to you. We are thankful to share our hearts with one another. We pray that you would give your heart to us now. We pray that you would speak to each spirit, that you would fortify us in our core, Lord. And we pray that you would prepare us for a week of kingdom ministry. Let your kingdom come, bring your order to the chaos of our lives, that we might bring your order to the chaos of the world. We pray, Lord, that no one would leave here this morning unchanged. I thank you, Lord, that even now you are working, generating stories of your faithfulness and care. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's do some warm-up questions. Yeah, needs need to warm up a little bit? All right uh, Let's start let's start with an easy one. This is a, a, a direct one um, Who uh, who needs a million dollars? Anybody anybody need a million dollars just? We uh, wait, I see Gabby's like totally needs a million dollars. So c- 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 come here. Come here Gabby <laughs> Like because I have an answer for you this morning I'm going to fulfill your need. <laughs> I got a quarter. That's a good start. Go ahead, show him. You know what that is, right there? That's a good start. That's a good start. That's progress, people. Progress. She says that when that turns into a million dollars, she's going to come back and give the testimony. Thank you. My sermon is complete. Uh, um, All right, warm-up question number two, uh, now that uh, you've seen Gabby do her thing. Uh, This is a little tougher one, and you're going to have to think about this, okay? What planet do you live on? What planet do you live on? I'm going to give you eight seconds to just think about that. To unlock your inner genius, what planet do you live on? All right, answer. What planet do you live on? Earth. Great. It's about a C. I'll give that a C. Planet faith. The planet, planet faith. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. In our own little universe, you know, that's that's it's fine. It's like there's no judgment here at Blue Water. Let me let me ask a, a subtler question. What's that planet like? What's your planet like? Crazy. So, Oh, it's crazy. My planet is crazy. What else? Rocky. Planet is rocky. Crazy, rocky. What else? Challenging. Planet challenging. Dangerous. Can I just say, you guys are downers. <laughs> I think I'm a pessimist. But... Uh, What's that? It's beautiful. beautiful. It's a beautiful planet. All right. Snaps to Ryan. Somebody has a poetic soul at Blue water. Uh, okay, basic question. Because I think, the, I think this, is a, this is a basic question about where we live and about the space that we inhabit. Uh, ironically enough, it was a question that, that uh, the Scripture addresses right at the beginning of the story of creation. Is your planet plentiful? or scarce? Is it a garden, or is it a desert? Which planet do you live on? Because I I think you kind of get to choose, right? And this is an issue that Jesus addressed over and over and over again. When his followers, when his disciples and his his ministry partners uh, were tempted to complain that ministry was kind of hard, you know, Jesus would give teachings like, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The fields are just white with, with blossoms. Like, man, there is so much harvest to be had. Um, do you see life as plentiful or do you see life as sort of poor and scarce? If you would be honest, how would you answer? Depends on the moment. <laughs> yeah, we are a mixed bag. Because uh, this is a sermon series on on breakthrough on how to get help from God. And, And sometimes getting your breakthrough from the Lord is a matter of recognizing that your situation is actually full of potential. That your situation is actually plentiful. Even if you might be tempted to see your situation as devoid of blessing. The fact is, as Jesus calls it, you're never devoid of blessing and you never fail to have enough according to Christ, according to God, according to the early lessons that God taught His people. And, and if that's true, then, then the trick is to bless and multiply what you have as opposed to, I don't know, complaining about what you don't have. That seems to be fairly biblical. You've got to recognize the path forward to the miracle. If you need a million bucks and somebody gives you a quarter, you're like, ah, progress. Yes, it's happening right in front of me. Uh, As opposed to, as the scripture says, despising the day of small beginnings. It's like, man, it's only a quarter. I need... 999,999 dollars and 75 cents more, things suck. Personally, I'm not always great at the attitude of, of plenty and blessing. Uh, this has partly to do with my natural depressiveness. You know, my history is, is one of, of uh, depression and pessimism. This might surprise you, occasionally I can be cynical. I know that's a, that's a, a shock. Uh, but partly, partly has to do with that and partly I think it has to do with all the times in which I've experienced disappointment in life in which I was hoping for a breakthrough. I was hoping for plenty and it didn't pan out uh, the way that I had hoped it would. And that, that stings, right? Uh, that shapes expectation when life doesn't pan out as, as we hope. Um, I've experienced... Uh, some surprisingly bad outcomes in certain situations and seasons of my life. And, and that makes me skittish sometimes. It can tempt me to be uh, don't count your chickens until they're hatched kind of guy. It can tempt me uh, to be cautious or protective or, or cynical. And, and that spirit is the opposite of the spirit of faith and expectancy and plenty that scripture so often commands us to have. It's the opposite of faith and I know it's the opposite of faith. So what I do as a discipline, because I am a tremendously disciplined guy, that's one thing that I can do. So as a discipline, I shake it off and uh, I try for the next miracle anyway. You know, I can do that. Um, Maybe you can do it too. Maybe you're that sort of disciplined person. Like when, when uh, I'm tempted to be cynical, I'm like, I don't care. You know, I'm gonna do the right thing anyway. I'm great at doing the right thing, but that doesn't mean that I'm great at expecting good things. You know, there's a way in which you can do things out of obedience, but not out of faith and expectancy. And for me, there's a real frontier there. There's a real spiritual frontier. Do I assume that the world is scarce? Do I assume that I'm living in a desert? Or do I assume that my world is just brimming with all that I need, and it's just a matter of gathering it up as I go? Which world do I live in? What planet do I live on? Here, I think, is a truism that you can, you can write down. It's one worth meditating on. In life, you tend to find what you expect to find. Do you think that's true? I call it a truism, you know, because we have this sovereign, wild, creative God, and He can burst into your life and just drop great things on you. Uh, Even if you expect bad ones, you know, you can get breakthrough that way. But He's also trying to cultivate in us trust, faith, a belief in His goodness. And so... uh, A lot of times, He structures our lives in such a way that we need to lean into faith. We need to practice a little faith in order to get a lot of flow. You know, the faith precedes the blessing a lot of times. And I think that means in life, you tend to find what you expect to find. I think even the unbelieving world knows this to be true the power of positive thinking. You're not gonna perform well if you don't psych yourself into confidence. You know? Every salesperson knows this. Every athlete knows this. The Christians better know it. And that's why uh, Jesus addresses it so often. I was thinking about this this weekend. we We had a Holy Spirit retreat uh, it was a quick one. It was a great one. It was kind of smaller and intimate than a lot of our other ones. Um, and I was telling stories, as I often do, uh, of you know, times in which I've seen the Holy Spirit come upon people and, and do cool things. And, and, uh, and when, I, when I talk about that, sometimes I think I give the impression that, well, that's always easy. Um, then I think about my early times with the Holy Spirit, with experiencing the supernatural presence of God in a powerful way. And on the one hand, it was easy, you know, because the Lord broke into my life, and you've heard a lot of my stories of His supernatural presence and miracles that I've gotten to see. Uh, But I remember those early days when when I started thinking about it honestly, the first time anybody ever said, hey, I would like to pray for you, Jordan, to experience the supernatural presence of God. I'm going to pray for you on Friday. Um, This was at college. I'll pray for you in my dorm room. And I was like, well, what should I do until then? And he said, well, I don't know. Why don't you pray and fast? So I went a week without eating, this 18-year-old kid. Um, I forget that part. You know, I forget how I would have done anything to get my breakthrough. You know, Um, I was just so hungry. And there's a confidence in that. I was so willing to sacrifice to do whatever it took to get a little bit more of God in my life. I felt like I really didn't have anything to lose. And I really believed that it would work, or at least I believed about 51%, which was enough to get me to do radical things. All you need is 51%, right? So that you make the decision positively instead of negatively. Um, Lots of stories about that. I went to a a ministry conference once. Uh, Next year, I think I was 19 years old and there were guys there praying for miracles and, and, and praying for the presence of the Spirit to come upon people, and I went up to get prayer, and nothing happened, and nothing happened, and I had gone with a bunch of friends from college, and they all left the building, and I said, I'm not going. I stayed there until there was no one else left to pray for me, and of course, you know, toward the end, the Holy Spirit came upon me. I remember I just had this powerful experience. I vaguely remember slumping against a wall And kind of going unconscious as the Lord sort of, you know, took me to a different place in my spirit, which happens sometimes. And when I came out of it, I'll never forget this. When I came out of it, we were meeting in a place like this. The whole place was empty except for me on the floor and a custodian sweeping up around me. But I just just wanted it so much and expected it so fully that that really wasn't a problem for me back then. You know, it was sort of the blush of a first love, right? This is great, and I'm going to go for it. And I was young enough that I had not been reshaped by disappointments or setbacks, the sort of thing that tends to happen in life as we get older. But faith is still faith, and I'm glad that I had those touchstone experiences. What do you expect from God today? You know? Because this could be a breakthrough morning for you. Uh, Are you like stuck in life? I mean, are you just buried in life? Do you come in today with shoulders sagging and you're like, man, I am stuck? Or do you come to the house of God this morning thinking, I am an inch away from the greatest breakthrough in my life? Because could God give you the greatest breakthrough of your life this morning? My question is, do you expect it? You know? Do you expect it? Will you take what he offers as if it is the first step on the road to fulfillment? There's something about that that characterizes the life of faith. We are in this sermon series on getting breakthrough, uh, getting help from God, or uh, more uh, shallowly, getting what you want from God. Uh, and in week one of the sermon series, we, we uh, talked about how important it is to persevere in your request to God. You know, Jesus tells lots of uh, teachings on this, the parable of the persistent widow. You have to be willing to stick with it a long time. Not because God doesn't hear your prayers, but because the answer to your prayers will vary in delivery time. God will always respond in a good way, uh, but you might not see it materialize, at least not as you expect right off the bat. You don't want to get hung up so much on your unresolved prayer requests that you can't proceed with prayer requests in other areas of your life. Uh, the way that God is providing for, your, for you, responding to your prayer requests, will actually always be mixed. You'll have some long unresolved prayers and some short prayers that, that result in breakthrough rather quickly. And part of staying in the game is, be, is being willing to live in that tension, to pray as long as you have to. Uh, and for as many things as you have to. That's the Jesus teaching. In the second week of the sermon series, uh, we talked about how important it is to let every request actually be a conversation. You ask God for something, and He's God, so it's perfectly legitimate for Him to speak back and edit your requests a little bit. It's like, oh, well, you asked me for that. You know, I'm gonna give you this instead because, you know, it's gonna be better for you, trust me. Uh, If you ask God for bread and He gives you a pizza, that's okay. Right? God is wise. If you ask for a pizza and he gives you a salad, well, I mean, let's face it, you could have used the salad. Um, God is God and we have to converse with him. We have to let him speak back and, and, and maybe bring us to the point where we need to be to get the breakthrough that we want to have. In week three, we talked about being the sort of person that gets breakthroughs. And the sort of person who gets breakthroughs, according to Jesus, is the believer. Not the person who believes in the prayer requests that they're making at that point, but a person that believes in all godly things. If you're going to be a powerful person of prayer, then you also need to be a great forgiver. right? You also need to be obedient in these other ways. Um, That was the Jesus teaching. Had to do with a fig tree, if you remember. In week four, Antonio talked about the necessity of praying habitually as Jesus modeled it, which creates in us a power to stay with things. It develops uh, stamina and muscle to get the breakthrough that we need. And last week, I talked about the power of shamelessness, the simple power of asking God for what you want, no matter um, what people might think of you for doing so. To ask God for what you want without fearing uh, that God might consider it inappropriate. He can correct whatever he needs to correct, but sometimes you have to be willing to be exposed in your weakness and your clumsiness and your messiness in order to you know, open things up between you and God. And it actually takes a surprising amount of courage to shrug off what people think. It takes a surprising amount of faith to shrug off fear of judgment, but there's no judgment in the house of God. And today we're going to talk about blessing what you have so that it can become what you need. And the scripture I've chosen today is a story that I bet you know if this is your first time in church ever. I still bet you have heard of this story. It is one of the very few stories that appears in each of the four Gospels. It was a big deal in the early days of the church, this story. One of the truly foundational uh, stories of the early church. Uh, I'm going to pick the version from Mark chapter 6. And it's the story of Jesus uh, feeding 5,000 people with uh, the loaves and fishes with uh, a, a tiny lunch. You know that story? Anybody not know that story before? I win. Okay, excellent. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 6. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So when the story opens, Jesus is taking his little ministry team and he's basically saying to them, let's run away from the people. Uh, let's go take a break. We are exhausted. So <clears throat> they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd So he began teaching them many things. So already, you know, just to set up, Jesus and his ministry guys, they are exhausted. They're trying to get away, but a crowd descends upon them and Jesus makes the decision that they're going to minister uh, and provide for these people anyway. So, you know, that kind of, what the author is trying to do is kind of give you an impression of the mood of the ministry team at this point. It's like, ah, you know, I might be a little grumpy in that situation. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is a good plan. This is a good plan uh, because there are uh, loads of people. It's late in the day. Uh, This was not a planned ministry event, so they are probably hungry. And they come up with a plan that's pretty reasonable. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Well, that's rude. They're supposed to be on vacation. This is an impromptu ministry meeting. And Jesus is like, uh, I know it's late, but uh, provide for all of these people. You do it. They said to him, uh, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Like, we don't have enough money for this. It's a huge crowd. It's going to be about 25 grand uh, just to buy them dinner. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. If you read other accounts of this story, uh, like, the disciples themselves don't have anything, but they find a little boy that was traveling with their entourage, and he had a knapsack with, with a lunch in it, five loaves and two fish. So what they do is they steal the kid's lunch. Um, well, I, that's how I read it. Um, but in any case, we have five little, five muffins and a couple fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and then broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Uh, that's just the men. Scholars will tell you that, you know, those men probably had women and kids with them as well. So the actual number of people who ate was probably greater than 5,000. But other... You know, it doesn't matter. It's a whole bunch of people who, uh, who ate on five loaves and two fish. And the doggy bags that the disciples carry away were in fact greater than the original meal had been. You guys know that story, right? You already know the story. There's this big crowd following Jesus. He tries sort of half-heartedly uh, to get away, to go on vacation. It doesn't work out. He stops the guys. He has them minister to the crowd anyway. Um, and Jesus uh, and the guys are, are concerned late in the day uh, because the crowd is hungry. They're in a remote place because you know, it was supposed to be a vacation. There aren't any cities and towns around. The disciples say, hey, you know, send the crowd away. It's late. And parenthetically, we are supposed to be resting Jesus. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, Jesus says, well, you take care of the problem. This is your mission after all. We have discussed this, you know. Your job is to take care of the people who show up. Right away, I think about the first time that Jesus sent his disciples out uh, without him, which happens also in Mark chapter six in this particular gospel. He says, go out to the villages, tell them about me, do a bunch of miracles. Incidentally, you're not allowed to take any food, any money, or any extra clothes. It's like Jesus repeatedly drills them in situations of scarcity. Why? Well, because I think he's he's concerned about protecting them from the feeling of being overwhelmed. It seems like the way Jesus treats his disciples is always like an inoculation against stress. It's like, here's one thing I won't allow, guys. I will never allow you to feel overwhelmed. I will never allow you to do that. Right. So I'm going to send you out without any food or money. And if a lot of people come to you without food or money, you're responsible to take care of them. Which is this is a potent kingdom lesson. And, and maybe you've heard uh, <coughs> sermons on that before. Jesus challenges the guys to solve the problem themselves. Um, maybe because he wants the guys to be able to overcome the feeling of being overwhelmed. Which is really a feeling of not having enough, Right? There's not enough of you to go around. There's not enough time to go around. You don't have enough money to go around. Whatever it is, it's the feeling of being overwhelmed. And the basic lesson here is that God always provides for your mission. If God has called you to do something, um, rest assured, He will always provide the means for you to do it. That's a good punchline uh, for a sermon on this passage as well. I love it that in the midst of this brouhaha, Jesus asked the question, what do you have? That's the surprising bit for me, right? Uh, Because I think it's kind of obvious they don't have enough to to feed the crowd. Jesus says, well, you know, thousands of people here, the disciples are complaining, oh, you know, they're gonna go hungry, and we're really tired, Uh, send them away. Let's call it a night, Jesus. And Jesus says, Well, you give them something to eat. Big challenge. You know, he's trying to say, It's important for you to recognize that you always have enough to complete your mission. That would take half a year's wages for a working man. It's thousands and thousands of dollars. And we are just itinerant beggars. Um, That's no, you know, we, we don't have that much money. Well, what do you have? That, to me, is the most directive question of the whole interaction. I know you don't have a million dollars. What do you have? Well, now you have a quarter. Um, I know you don't have enough to pull off the job. What do you have to get started? You know, it's just a very potent question in the kingdom of God. You have to recognize what you do have. And, and I imagine that to the disciples in that moment, it felt like a really pathetic question. Uh, okay, what do we have? What do we have? What do we have? Uh, It turns out it's Andrew that finds this kid. It's like, oh, well, I have a lunch. I've got five loaves and a couple fish. Uh, Maybe, maybe, well, there you go. It's like, it sounds like brown nosing to me, you know? It's like, I've got food. I don't know what these other guys, these slackers, I don't know what the mood was. But it seems like a ridiculous response almost, right? Like, you need a million dollars? Well, I got 25 cents. That's what it sounds like. I've got a couple sandwiches. uh, And Jesus is like, great, you recognize what you have. Now we can get started. Now we can get started. Just such an interesting interaction. Uh, their, Their response when they say that would take half a year's wages is essentially, what do you mean what do we have? We don't have enough. Right? That's essentially what they were saying. And Jesus' response essentially says, I didn't ask if you have enough. I asked what you have. Perspective shift. I asked what you have. All right, well, what we have is five loaves and two fish. Great. Have them sit down. (laughs) Start getting organized, uh, the story goes. That must have been an awkward moment uh, for the disciples. It's like, all right, everybody sit down in groups of 50. All right, you can sit down in a group of 100. You have an extended family. Everybody get organized. What did they say? Why, why did they, what did they say to the people to make them cooperate at that point? It's like, all right, everybody sit down, get ready. For what? We apparently are going to feed you. There apparently is going to be uh, an early dinner. You know, it's like, what, what went on for the disciples in that moment? I asked myself that a couple different times in this passage, but uh, like, what would the disciples have said to get the people to sit down? And would they have said it in faith or cynicism? I don't know, it's crazy. And then the next thing we see is that Jesus takes the food you know, must have looked paltry in his hands. And he looked to heaven and gave thanks. Maybe you think the world is a scarce place. Maybe you think that what you have in your hands is not enough. Maybe you think that you really can't go on unless you have more. And you're looking around you and you're seeing... Uh, a challenging planet, a rocky planet, you know, a crazy planet, well, I mean, stop looking around and look up to heaven, which is plentiful and beautiful, and Jesus kind of models that for us in this moment, you know. He takes his apparent lack, and you know, he checks in with heaven where everything is overflowing, right? just changes his perspective right there. I mean, in which world do you live in? Do you live in this one or in that one? And, you know, of course the answer is both, right? But you have to be a conduit from heaven to the earth. Uh, It's just a a lovely moment. To which world do you look? Jesus looks to heaven. There are some commentaries that say, well, Jesus looked to heaven and Father God gave him instructions about what to do in that moment. I don't know, seems to me like he already had a plan. Uh, you know, he was organizing and, and all of that stuff. I, uh, I just think he was taking his eyes off what he didn't have and putting his eyes on where the help was gonna come from, something like that. And then he gave thanks. Powerful point to be made here. Like, if you want more than you have, be thankful for what you do have because that's the attitude that will birth faith and expectancy. Are you more ungrateful for what you don't have or grateful for what you do have? Personal inventory, I'll give you four seconds to figure it out, it shouldn't be hard. But Jesus is displaying something powerful here. Then, as is often the case, the miracle is in the follow through, right? It's not like Jesus is holding the lunch, he looks to heaven and give thanks and Boom, giant buffet table. You know, there's this crazy moment, this beautiful moment that I I wish I could have observed where he starts breaking it into little pieces and giving it to the disciples. I mean, even if it were just the 12 disciples that that were helping him that day, can you imagine breaking two little fish into 12 pieces and then say, all right, pass it out. You know, but that evidently is what they did. You got five loaves of fish, Five loaves of bread, and it's like 12 people. And you see Jesus doing the math. Well, it's a little less than half that you get. And like, you know, here's a piece for you. And they're like, go feed your group of 50. Go feed your group of 100 with that. And then how did that work exactly? You know, I'm not really sure. Did they like break it off, pass it out, and before their eyes went back to the bread, it got bigger? Like, Did they give someone a piece of bread and then that person passed it on and the miracle happened that way? I don't really know. It was weird and it's not described, but what we do know is that whatever wonderful thing happened, it happened along the way. It happened in the midst of the process, right? It was never like, boom, giant buffet table. Now we can feast. It was more like, you're gonna think I'm nuts, but pass this out to your family. Oh my gosh, everybody's full. You know, I, right? You're looking at me like I'm nuts. That's, just turn to somebody and say, oh, that was, that was amazing what happened. Just Can you imagine what that must have been like? There, now I feel partnership. The miracle is, the miracle is in the act of keeping going. The miracle is in the act of execution. You have to try if you're going to get your breakthrough. You can't wait for your breakthrough and then try. And everything about this story suggests that the faith comes first. Get organized. We're going to have a breakthrough. All right. Here's a piece of fish. Feed them. You know, it's like stepping out into the chasm before the bridge appears under your feet. And then, of course, in the end, 12 basketfuls, each of the 12 uh, disciples uh, get this huge amount of leftovers, uh, more than they can eat, and we learn that for Christians, your provision comes through providing for others. The more you give, the more you get, and that is the way uh, of the kingdom of God. Basic lesson here in the kingdom of heaven, what you have is somehow always enough. Basic lesson. Even if it takes a miracle, in the kingdom of heaven, what you have is always enough. Somehow, uh, it's going to work out. It's going to get you where you need to know. What you have is somehow always enough if you're bold enough to see it that way. Because these guys had to be pretty bold. They were encouraged along the way by Jesus. But what they had was indeed enough. They just weren't smart enough to know it until they did it, and then they discovered it. I don't have a car, you might say, but I have this great road. We're in business. I, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a little, I'm a little lonely, I don't have a spouse, I don't have children, but I got all this love to give. I'm in great shape. Oh, I don't have a job but I can work, and I can serve, so I'm almost there. I'm halfway home, let's go. I don't have enough, but I have something, and you can always make more out of something. God can always make more out of what you have if you follow through on what you have. Basic lesson, say amen if you get it. Be thankful and follow through. I mean, that should probably be the bumper sticker. You know, be thankful for what you have. Otherwise, you're going to miss the potency of what you have and follow through on what you have. Don't wait for the breakthrough and then move. Move so that you can get the breakthrough. You have to do both things together. And if God, uh, act as if God will provide for your breakthrough as you move on it. Act as if you'll get what you need. And then notice what happens. I can't even tell you how it's gonna happen. Just like I can't even describe to you how this miracle of the miraculous feeding happened, but act as if you're gonna get the miracle. Is that good Good advice? Really? Because even I can think of a lot of caveats right off the bat. And you know what a positive guy I am. I know that there are caveats to that, treat, to that teaching. I said, just act as if you're gonna get the miracle. Uh, that you seek. Well, you know, we've already discussed in this sermon series how every request to God needs to be a conversation with God, right? I mean, it's possible that when you hold what you're doing in front of God, when you look to heaven, when you're like, all right, Lord, we're going to pass, we're going we're gonna to move on with this, we're going to act as if the miracle is going to happen, that the Lord might speak into your, conver- in, into your situation through conversation and say, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. You know, we're going to do it this way instead or something like that. You know, the Lord can speak in and reshape and say, you're going to get your miracle, but you're not going to get it the way that you thought you're going to get it. This is going to be more of a journey or something like that. I mean, God has full license to speak into your situation. But I'm talking about the attitude, right? I mean, you're going to get the breakthrough. You're going to get a good thing. You might not know exactly how you're going to get it. And it goes to worldview. Do you live in a desert or do you live in a garden? Is it famine or is it harvest? That's the attitude. Here's a question. Do you work harder in a famine or in a harvest? Harvest, because if you're in the middle of famine, there's nothing to do, right? If the fields are blighted and there's no crop, you can't go out and work the field, right? But if it's a harvest, you work like a son of a gun. You work from morning till night, right? Harvest takes some work, but it's a harvest. The Bible says the farmer is the first to eat of the crop. You know? Um, So it's attitude. Are you living in, in the midst of a harvest? That might take some work. You know? That's fine. A little caveat there. It's not like, boom, automatic buffet table. You might have to go out and sweat to get what you need. But if you're in a harvest, you're pretty much assured of getting what you need, right? That's the spirit. That's the spirit. You can't allow yourself to act as if you don't have enough. Write that down. If you're a Christian, you can't ever allow yourself to act as if you don't have enough. If you're a Christian, you can't ever allow yourself to act as if God is too stingy with you. As if your situation is too meager To make progress, as if your situation is too meager to keep going. Not allowed to act that way. Now I sympathize with you if you feel that way, and I'm here for you, and your brothers and sisters are here for you, you know, because even Jesus tried to take his guys away for a rest and vacation and refreshment. You know, it's like we help each other along because we're only human. Look to the person next to you and say, You're you're only human, but God is God, you know, and you're not allowed to act as if you don't have enough. You're not allowed to. I'm not sure how the miracle is going to come. You can act uncertain, (laughs) but you can never act scared if you get the difference. We often see setbacks in life as disasters, but refuse to see step forwards in life as breakthroughs, you know? Gabby asked for a million dollars. I gave her a quarter. How many of you in that situation would say, breakthrough! I got one affirmation from the crowd. But when a little setback comes, we're often like, tragedy! Tragedy! All is lost, the boat is thinking. Well, at least you have a boat, you know. You know that old adage about the glass half full, glass half empty? Are you a glass half full person or a glass half empty person? How many half full? How many of you are glass half empty people? Yeah. I think as is often the case with these things, it's like, it doesn't really get to the heart of the question. If you see a glass with uh, water to the halfway mark I think you're supposed to say, man, there's room for more, you know, and to kind of see that as a symbol of potential. Man, we could add double the amount of water in that space. That's incredible. You know what else we could do? We could, instead of water, we could put in lemon juice and a little bit of sugar, you know, because life has given me a lemon. I got space for lemonade. You know, we're supposed to have that attitude of progress and plenty and creativity in life. You know, it's not whether you're a pessimist or an optimist. It's whether, if, it's whether you're, you're willing to follow through on it with expectancy of good things, right? The most important moment in your life is always the next one. And that moment is just ripe with harvest and ripe with potential. In life, you tend to find what you expect to find. What do you expect to find? Are you looking at an insufficiency? Or are you looking at progress and potential? This little lunch that you're carrying around. What is it? Is it not enough? Or is it the start of something great? Is it a miracle in the making? Um, And somehow the way we answer that question, I think, um, can go a long way to determining the amount of breakthrough that we have in life. So let's pray about that. You are in the midst of your harvest field right now. Don't have to go search for another one. <clears throat> Just have to open your eyes and look at the world around you <clears throat> with different filters on your eyes. You're in the midst of it right now. You don't have to go search for a better one. You have what it takes. You have enough for the next thing and it's gonna be awesome. Open their eyes, Father God, and show them uh, the harvest around them. And fortify their spirits and their muscles for the hard work that it takes to bring in the crop. Uh, If you have been in a time of scarcity, in a mind frame of scarcity, and and, uh, you want to just hold up your meager lunch to the Lord and say, Oh, I need a bit more than this. What are we going to do? Go ahead and stand up. I'll just pray for you where you stand. If you're in the middle of a disaster and are willing to uh, change your mind and see it as the beginning of a breakthrough, go ahead and stand up. takes a fair bit of boldness. Whatever you have is enough. So just in your hearts, however, just hold up what you have to the Lord. Say, well, this is what I have. This is what I have. And that's the question that I think the Lord would ask you today. Well, I know what you don't have. Tell me, what do you have? What do you have? Let's start there. And the first step of faith is recognizing what you do have. and then casting your eyes to heaven and saying, well, thanks for this, let's get going. Or let's get going again, as the case might be. This is the beginning of a conversation with God uh, for you, but it is also the beginning of your breakthrough. I promise you that on good faith. I have it on good word of Christ himself. In the name of Jesus, I bless you, brothers and sisters, for a season of plenty in your life. I bless you, brothers and sisters, for a great gathering and harvest in your life. What you have is the key to an epic story. Trust it. Holy Spirit, deal with them where they stand, I pray. Relieve their hearts, alter their minds, and give us testimonies come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit give them more Lord give them more Uh, first fight of every battle in life is the fight for faith attitude Uh, do that initial miracle Lord and just change their attitudes the Lord is with you brothers and sisters, the Lord is with you. These guys receive more from the Holy Spirit, you know, maybe uh, you've come today with a lack of faith just generally in God, you know. Well, I don't know, you're here. Are you truly a doubter or, or are you a believer at the beginning? and maybe this is a morning where you get to decide that you're actually a seeker and not a doubter. And you know, if that's you, go ahead and stand up and I think the Lord would just like to give you more basic faith and begin to unfold before you uh, a life of faith that you always uh, craved, secretly or not. If you'd like to start a life of faith with Jesus, if you'd like to say, yep, I'm in, go ahead, stand up. We'll pray for you and it will be a blessing. I love you. Yeah. From now on, you self-identify as a believer. That's the choice. And Father, for those who have stood, I just pray uh, that you would take this act of faith and turn it into a miracle uh, that grows until it uh, it overwhelms thousands. <laughs> turn it into something truly miraculous, Lord. We honor that faith in Jesus' name. We honor the day of small beginnings. We honor the first step to the race.